You're listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. In this week's lesson of our new module, Prayer, Lord Teach Us, Philip Edwards will open up the topic asking why the apostles wanted Jesus to teach them how to pray and why corporate prayer is so effective. We hope you enjoy today's teaching and please remember to head on over to ariseministry.org.uk where you can study our past modules, see our future modules and see the other ministries we have to offer. You can also now follow us on social media at Arise Ministry UK where you can watch our live streams. And now over to Philip Edwards for today's teaching. Okay, let's um, start this evening's session with... uh... Yeah, we'll pray before we start as we normally do and just uh, present ourselves before God and ask him that by his spirit he will minister uh, truth into our hearts and strengthen us. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you're always ready to receive us and to hear uh, the petitions that we make. We want to look at this important subject of prayer tonight and we pray that you'll open up our heart and our understanding and our mind to it to inspire us to move on in prayer, as it were. Father, we commit our time now to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In Acts, the second chapter, verse 42, uh, the author's written at the head of this paragraph, the fellowship of believers. I believe that the, the church has four very distinct pillars in it, And I think this verse that I'm going to read to you now, Acts 2 and 42, it describes the pillars that that I'm talking about. It says that the early church devoted themselves. When it says they devoted themselves, I think it means that they did the things that the disciples told them to do. They didn't just hear and listen, they actually did the things. To be devoted to something is more than just listening about it. So he said this, They devoted themselves to four things, to the apostles' teaching, that was important. Without teaching, we don't understand anything, and without understanding, we can't grow or advance in anything. That applies to everything in our lives, and especially to the things of God. So the first thing they devoted themselves to was the apostles' teaching. The second was to fellowship. It's important as a church, we gather together, we love one another, we support one another, we help one another. That's what I would consider the second pillar. The third is the breaking of bread. Meeting regularly to uh, break bread together, to commune around the Lord's table, to remind ourselves that Christ has not only died for our sins, but died and through his death has chosen to enter into us. I no longer live, Paul says, but it's Christ who lives his life through me. And that's what communion always reminds us of. So they did communion regularly. And the fourth thing is prayer. They devoted themselves then to doctrine, to teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. It seems that it was one of the four pillars of the early church. We know that on one particular occasion, the disciples came to Jesus and one of them said, would you teach us how to pray? Now, these were Jewish people and they knew what prayer was all about. They prayed a lot. 
when we think that the very center of Jerusalem had this enormous temple and Jesus called it the house of prayer. You have made, uh, remember he said, my father's house into a house of robbers, but it's a house of prayer. They would have been regular people at the synagogue. So good Jews knew what it was to pray. So why did they ask Jesus to teach them? It was either because they were lacking and had no enthusiasm for it, and so often Christians lose enthusiasm to pray. I understand that too. Perhaps they had lost their enthusiasm. Perhaps to them it was just a mechanical exercise. Or perhaps they had seen Jesus praying and they thought when he prays, it's wonderful. He seems to have such this relationship with his father. I would like to pray like Jesus prays. Maybe it was something like, we don't know. We just know that it was sufficient for them to say, please will you teach us to pray. So I want us to take you to that passage of scripture because in it, Jesus teaches them to pray. He teaches them what to say, what is expected, what we are expected to pray about, and then some of our attitudes towards prayer when we do pray. So let me read this to you. It's in Luke chapter 11, and we're going to look at the first 13 verses. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. So that's what he told them they were to pray. That was to be the content of their prayer. We'll look at it in some details. Four things that he lists that we're to pray about. Then he talks about how they should pray. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, Lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door's already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him the bread, because he is his friend. Yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs." his boldness meant he kept on knocking he didn't go away when he said leave me I'm all in bed he goes no I'm not you know and he kept hammering on the door because of the man's it says boldness it's really his persistence he was going to get an answer because he was his friend he was the only one who could help him so I say to you ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, so which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. There we are. That's Jesus responding to that question. Teach us how to pray. The Jews, I said, 
uh, were prayerful people. Um, they prayed three times a day. They prayed morning, afternoon and evening, and they prayed for an hour. We see this with the story of Daniel, remember? Uh, they tried to trick him, but he went as usual, opened his window to face Jerusalem and prayed those three times a day, morning, afternoon and evening. The prayer usually lasted something like an hour. So they were quite committed to prayer, and yet they said to Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? We, we just need some encouragement or some help. Although the disciples prayed, they needed an upgrade in their prayer. They needed something more, something to inspire them or to help them. May I suggest for many Christians in the West, we know we should pray, and most Christians do pray to a lesser or greater extent. But we also know we could improve our prayers. Is there a Christian that wouldn't say, yeah, I think I probably need to go to Jesus and say, will you teach me how to pray? Not that I don't pray, or I never pray, but I could probably do with an upgrade. I'm sure you know how to do it. And so could you show me some tips? Can you help me so my prayer life would be something better? Lord then, teach us how to pray. I think it's possibly something every Christian has prayed to God maybe sometimes. Help me. Teach me how to pray better. I just, I've got into some mechanical thing here that doesn't seem to give me any life. I don't feel very inspired by it. So Jesus teaches them how to pray. First he teaches them the things that they are to pray for. What to pray for? Let's look at this. Prayer is a partnership, but at the same time it's a relationship. It's us entering into a life with God as our Father, so there is a relationship. He mentions the Father later. If, if a child asks his father for something, wouldn't his father give him? He's going back to the, the idea of we pray our Father, which is which art in heaven. Uh, so it's a relationship, but prayer is a partnership. This is a mystery that it seems that God has limited himself to his activities in the earth. Not completely, but in lots of things, he says, unless you pray, I won't necessarily move. So you must pray for me to do something. If you, if you don't pray there's a good chance I won't do anything. Now, I'm free to do whatever I like, whether you pray or whether you don't pray, but often I won't move unless you do pray. You petition me in prayer, and sometimes you must be persistent in your petitioning of me in prayer. So it's both a relational thing, Father, and it's a partnership of working together. We are on a journey with God. It says that Enoch walked with God. We're walking with God. We are walking with God into the kingdom of God. We, we came and we were outside of the kingdom. We had our own thoughts and the world's thoughts. But as soon as we became born again, we started to walk with our Father into the kingdom, into him, understanding what kingdom life was all about. And so he says, right, in this kingdom, I will give you four things 
that I want you to pray about if you're kingdom people with God. The first thing is, you are engaged in building the kingdom of God with God. Therefore, the first thing you pray about is thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We're building the kingdom, and so we need to be asking him, what do you want me to do in the building up of the kingdom? Show me, and I will build the kingdom with you, God. So he needs us to build the kingdom in the earth. Secondly, we are trusting God as the source of our supply for everything that we need. The breath that we breathe, the food that we eat, the water that we drink, the clothes on our back, he becomes our source of supply. I understand he just doesn't drop it down outside your front door. You might have to get a job and work for it. But he is the source of all of these things. So we are to have in our minds, Lord, everything comes from you. Give us this day our daily bread, he says. You're to pray that. Bear in mind that God is the supplier of all of your needs. The, first, the third thing he says to pray about, we are committed in this Christian life of ours to live the life of love. The goal of the Christian life is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the image of his Father and God is love. So if we work our way back, the whole point of this Christian life is to be the people who love like Jesus loved. That's our goal. It'll always be our goal. Remember in uh, Ephesians, he says, there are three things that remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. So at the end, you'll only have three things in you as a person, your faith, your hope, and your love. And he says the most important thing is that you love, you have the love of Christ in your heart. You love like Christ loves. So uh, we also forgive everyone who sins against us, he said in the prayer. And the fourth point is, we will overcome the evil one. Lead us not into temptation, but enable us to overcome evil or the evil one. We live in a world where the evil one is opposed against us. So these are the four points. Your kingdom come, give us this day our daily bread, realising he is the source of all things. We also forgive everyone who sins against us. We choose to live this life of love with one another and lead us not into temptation. Strengthen us in the battle, as it were, against the evil one. This prayer, the way we've learnt it, and there's nothing wrong in this, we've learnt it as though we should recite it. But there's nothing in this passage of Scripture that indicates that Jesus was saying, I'm going to teach you a prayer, and when you learn it, just say it verbatim. That's not there. And also, you'll notice in in the, I think there's two references to it, there's no doxology to the prayer. Remember that bit where it says, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. That's not in the Bible. It doesn't even appear. It was added by the church because they, ch they changed this teaching of the things we should pray about into something that we recited and therefore we'll pop a doxology on the end of it. 
So even on this one, we say something like, our Father, which, is, which art in heaven. It just says here, Father. In other words, Father. It doesn't, doesn't say all those things. Now, listen, there's, they haven't done anything wrong, but it hasn't been helpful because somehow, if we're taught to pray things just parrot fashion, it loses its impact. We're best off if we're going to pray, think for a few moments, and then let the words flow from our heart to God. That is, must be the best way to pray. It's genuine. It's real. It exposes the faith that's in your heart or the lack of faith that's in your heart to recite something. You don't have to have any faith at all. You just have to say it. And yet we've been trained up to do that. Now, how to pray. He gives us some teaching here on how we are to pray. This first thing I want to bring to you, Jesus encourages us to be bold. To be persistent is a better word than that, than rather being bold. Verse 8, yet because of the man's boldness, so don't give up. When you pray about something, never give up. You say, well, there's going to be a point when we're going to pass a point and then there's no point in praying. That makes good sense, but it doesn't always make biblical and kingdom sense. Remember the man who came to Jesus because his daughter was very sick and he said, come quick, you must lay hands on my daughter and she will live, thinking if, if she died it would be too late. And, and then the, the servant of the man rushes up and says, don't trouble the rabbi, the teacher anymore because your daughter's dead. And I love this. Jesus turns quick and he says, only believe. It's like, really? Only believe? We're past the point of believing. The poor girl has passed on. Oh, he says, only believe. All things are possible to them that believe. So sometimes when we've passed the point of where it's possible for God to answer, don't stop even there. Sometimes we can press on and see God redeem something and pull it back, as it were, pull it back from death and make it a reality. Now, I'm not insisting you're silly about this and, you know, if someone's died and they're dead and buried and they've been buried 10 years in the ground, you're thinking, I'm not telling you to pray and keep praying. You understand what I'm saying? But just making the point that we can sometimes go beyond when it seems all lost. But really keep praying until it's lost, at least. Keep being persistent. Keep being persistent. Never settle for less. Have that attitude. No, you could say, well, I believe that God wants me to have this thing. I believe it's the children's bread. I believe the scriptures say I can have this thing, whatever it is you're praying for. This thing that I desire and I'm asking for, it is a good thing. It is a good thing for the kingdom. It's not about me or selfishness or greed or having my needs met, but I'm praying for something for somebody else that will benefit the kingdom. Stay with it. Stay with it until you break through in it until we pass the point where you're thinking, I won't pray for this thing anymore. I found something that I thought was a little bit hidden in this uh, text here. Um, at the end, it says uh, about which of your fathers, if a son asks him for fish, 
we'll give him a snake, those things in verse 11. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, that word is carnal, not not of the Spirit of God when it says evil. It can mean carnal. Um, Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See how he sneaks that in. He's, they said, uh, could, you, could you teach us how to pray? And he says at the end of this teaching, ask God to give you the Holy Spirit. Give you a minute to link those two thoughts together. Ask us, teach us how to pray. Ask the Father for the Spirit. That's, that's the answer. That's part of the answer to what he was saying. The secret of learning how to pray is to pray in and with the Holy Spirit of God. Of course. That's the point he's making. Now, you could miss that quite easily, but he just sows that thought in there. Teach us how to pray. Ask God for the Holy Spirit, he says. Paul tells us, doesn't he, in Romans, he says the Spirit helps us. The Spirit himself intercedes for us. When we don't know what to pray, he energizes us. He prays in tongues through us or he causes us to to just pour out ourselves to God and God responds to that. In Jude, Jude exalts us. He says, pray in the Holy Spirit, he tells us. Um, Then Paul writes again in Ephesians, and he says, and pray in the Spirit, remember, on all occasions, he says. And then John reminds us, true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit. So it is important that when we pray, we are engaged with the Holy Spirit. You say, well, I just pray and I just expect him to be there. Mm -mm. Don't know. I would have a little word with the Holy Spirit when you pray. Or energise him by praying in other tongues. And as you pray, then you're definitely energising the Holy Spirit within you. You're in a partnership with the Holy Spirit, praying to the Father. When we pray, we must believe then, it's more than just uh, expressing thanks to God or making petitions to him. I understand as children we learnt that. Lord, thank you for mummy and daddy and thank you for all the blessings of today and thank you for my friend Johnny and Lord, I pray you'll bless them all. Good night. Amen. Okay, and then we say that the next day and the next. That's good. If you're a child and you learnt to pray, that's fantastic. And there's always a place for giving thanks to God, it says in Philippians, and always a place for petitioning God. But that's not the end of prayer. It isn't simply saying, thank you, Lord, and by the way, give me this as well. That's not what prayer is. It is those things, but it's a lot more. As Jesus taught them to pray, he taught them that prayer was a question of lining up with the priorities of God. (laughs) 
shouldn't we pray for things for ourselves? Or should we grow out of that and move on somewhat? Trusting that God will supply all of our needs. Seek first the kingdom of God, it says, and all these things that you require, God's taking care of them. Say, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm too busy to pray about me all the time. I'm going to pray for this one and this one and this one and the state of the church and the state of the nation. God says, come on, move away from when you knelt at the bed and asked God for stuff to something a bit bigger, something a bit broader, something that I'm interested in, the priorities that are in my life. You say, well, aren't I a priority? Yes, you are. God will take care of that stuff. There's more important things to pray about than simply having our own needs met. When we pray with the Holy Spirit's help, we will be able to enter into what I've called a divine dialogue with God. A dialogue with the Almighty. I just want you to imagine it like this. The Father and the Son are together in heaven. They are talking about your local church. They're discussing it. They're thinking about it. They're wondering how they might bless your church, your community, your nation. They are discussing it. They're discussing big things, you understand. The salvation of the world as it is. Christ died for the whole world. He's coming back for the world. They're thinking about these things. The Holy Spirit is listening to everything he's, they're saying. And he is the administrator of the Godhead. So what he picks up that is important that you know about and that you should be praying about, the administrator who dwells on the inside of you conveys the priorities of God into your life. So you know what you should be praying about. He is the administrator of the Godhead. He wants to revolutionize your prayers. So you're not simply praying for the things that you immediately see around you, but you're praying in a way that you're changing world affairs, the affairs of the church, the affairs of your community. Through your prayers, God is doing something different and wonderful. A church that I'm connected to, if you went there, you would think, mm, they're quite elderly, these people. It looks as though it might be on its last legs. So they brought somebody in who's on his last legs, me, and they said, could you help us? And I thought, that's a bit of a tall order. I'm up for it. I'm always up for a challenge, okay? And, and so I went, I went along to this church, and so I'm part of it. And I'm thinking, we need to pray then. Uh, it seems a sensible thing to do. We need to pray. And so uh, I was teaching on a, a weekly basis. I would do a 45-minute stint and then would have a break, similar to here, and then I would teach again. I said, let's just teach for 45 minutes, have a break, then we'll have 45 minutes or an hour of prayer. Well, they didn't argue with me. They brought me in to bring them advice. So what's the point of bringing me in? They say, no, we're going to listen to you. 
So we've been praying like this now for uh, the best part of this year. As I go along on Sunday, not every Sunday, uh, a couple of times a month, what I notice are people coming to this church. And I think, why on earth are these people coming to this church? We have no musicians, just one lady leads the singing off a tape recording. Um, there's just about, I don't know, 25, 30, sometimes 40 people, if there are a lot there, in the room. You look around the room, there are no children, there are no young people. Most of the average age must be about 70 or something like that. Why would these people come? I was there on Sunday, there were five new people in the church. And you go, what's going on? One man, he came right at the end and he said, I'm looking for a church. And, and I, was, I said, oh, this is a good church, you know. And another man came and he brought his son with him. And he says, I, I just was out driving and I came to this church. Another couple who I knew from some years past, they said, we want to come. Is it all right if we can come to this church every week? It's prayer, you see. It's the impossible. When I look out and thinking, God, this is an impossible situation. But the, the only thing that we can do, and it is the most important thing we do, we pray. And so I turn up and there's about 10 or 12 of us. And I say, here we are again, Lord. We're presenting ourselves before you. We don't even know what to pray, but we're here. We've come and we're going to hope that you will speak into our hearts and we will pray what you want us to pray. But we're sitting here for an hour and we'll be here next week and the week after and the week after and the week after. And it, sometimes it strikes me, it doesn't matter what we pray. The fact we've presented ourselves as a living sacrifice unto God, that God moves. He does things. And to see complete strangers who no one knows just wander off, it's exciting. So I'm believing for God to do wonderful things. He says in this passage, he requires us to ask and to seek and to knock. I'll do a whole lesson on asking, seeking and knocking uh, a bit later on, but I just want to deal with... Um, uh, an aspect of this uh, very quickly. What are we to ask for in prayer? He says, ask. But what am I to ask for? In this church situation where I'm in, what am I to ask for? I don't know. So what I've got to do is depend on the Holy Spirit drawing the prayers from me because he's come to help me in my prayers. So if I'm honest and said, Holy Spirit, I don't know what to pray, he is able, on the inside, to cause me to pray things that I've never ever thought about praying. So I don't go into the meeting planning what I'm gonna pray about, I make myself available to the Spirit and let him. So we ask. The Holy Spirit must reveal or draw the prayers from our heart. Secondly, be still and know that I am God. Wait patiently. Lord, I seek your answer. I wait patiently for you to speak. If there's anything you want me to do, just tell me and I'll do it. But if not, I'll simply wait patiently for you to do what it is you need to do. And I will be persistent that man kept knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking until his friend came down. He drove him nuts. 
He had nowhere else to go. He was his friend and he had bread. And he was going to get him up and give him what he wanted. Otherwise, he couldn't give the visitor who came anything. And he was ashamed of that. So he was, he was going to keep going. We just need to keep going. Keep knocking. Sometimes we need to plead our case. I'll teach about this as well. We need to have a case before the Lord and plead it, as in a court of law. Plead it before the Lord and see what the Lord's response is. So, with the Holy Spirit's help, we'll be able to hear what God wants us to pray, number one. With this help, we will wait patiently until we see the movement of God, or God directs us to do something. We don't have to jump up and do anything until he directs us. And the third thing is we must be bold and persistent in our prayer. And the Holy Spirit can help us do this. This is how God's arranged things. We're important, you see, to his plans. You're thinking, well, why don't you bless, bless this church that I'm going to? No, he says, no, that's not how it works. I'll tell you what to do, and you do it. And between the two of us, in partnership and in relationship, I will expand this work. I will bless this ministry. Why? Because it's my desire to do it. Of course I want churches to grow and to draw other people in and to be vibrant and full of good teaching and life. Of course I do. It's how we walk with God. There are two sorts of prayers that we pray. We pray privately on our own. Jesus said again, doesn't he? He said, go into your closet, your bedroom, as it were, your private place, shut the door, come before me and pray. There are many things personal to our own lives, our families, our loved ones, those that we know, that we can petition him on privately, on a one-to-one -one basis. But there's also corporate prayer. Corporate prayer is much different. The content of corporate prayer is much different from our private prayers. I said to this prayer group, please don't come and bring requests for your Auntie Hilda and her sore toe. This isn't the place. Go home, kneel by your bed and pray all night if you want to for your Auntie Hilda, but we don't do that here. We're praying about something bigger because corporately we're praying about God moving in this church, moving in this area. So let's focus ourselves on that. Corporately, then, we should be praying for our fellowships, our communities, our nation, and even the world. So, that's too big for me. Well, I understand it might be, but we can grow into that because Daniel prayed for the world. He was just a man. Elijah prayed for the world. He was just a man. And so we can. So after the break, I'm going to look at what it is to meet together and pray corporately and how that's different. I want to talk about corporate prayer, how it's different from our own personal prayer life in the closet, as it were, to what it means to come together. What is prayer? It involves, I've discovered, and I'm sure you have too, the whole of our being uh, it's something that we do with all of ourselves, talking, listening, 
loving, being guided, confessing, repenting, forgiving, receiving, thanking, crying, laughing, presenting, speaking in tongues, prostrating, kneeling, being silent, praising, worshipping, meeting, singing, dreaming, reasoning, groaning, sweating and agreeing. And there's probably lots and lots of more things, but it's, it's, prayer isn't just kneeling by your bed for a few minutes or, you know, just taking a moment. It is, that's all prayer. But prayer, we can enter right into it with the whole of our being and express ourselves in whatever way uh, we, we can in the presence of God. Over the weeks, um, I want us to take a real closer look at prayer like we've started already tonight. We'll discover that scripture has a whole lot to say about it. If it is one of the four pillars of the church, like I started off saying, he would have a lot to say about it, like he has a lot to say about fellowship and teaching and the breaking of bread. We're, we're not lefting in any doubt how important these things are. There's not just a couple of verses to to pin this on, it's, it's a major, major part of what the church should be doing. We'll look at what Jesus said, we've done that already, and we'll listen to some of his prayers. We will examine what the Old Testament teaches and the New Testament teaches on prayer. We will study the work of the Holy Spirit, which we've already touched on, the part he plays in our prayer life, and we will consider the prayers recorded for us in scripture. There are some lovely, great, long, long prayers. And if you just go through them and study them and you see the way they're structured, it's like oh, refreshing. What makes prayer exciting is the many activities of it. The, the entering in, as I said, with our bodies into the whole thing the moods we have in it. You know, you can enter into prayer feeling quite depressed and come out exhilarated, or you can go in exhilarated and come out depressed. Read about poor old Daniel. He mourned for ages about his prayers. Every time he got a vision, he was, he was heavy with the burden of what the whole thing is. So I'm not trying to put you off. I'm just saying you'll, you'll enter into it with the whole of your being. It thrills us. It creates fears in our heart. Our emotions are stirred. We encounter the living God. It's an adventure then. It's an adventure as we move into the kingdom and we move, therefore, into God. If we simply have it as something that's religious or mechanical, we'll give up quickly. We get fed up with it. Of course we will. What we do, we've got to derive some pleasure or excitement from it to maintain the enthusiasm to do it. Religious prayers don't do that. Mechanical prayers don't do that. I know people sometimes have lists. And I'm not opposed to whatever helps you, but I'm thinking, really? You pray for this every day, every day when you pray. Well, uh, maybe for me that doesn't work. Maybe it works for others. I'm not being critical of them. But if they can, somehow it's not a mechanical thing. It sometimes gives them life and power, then that's fine if it works for them. In this, what I've called a new episode, 
a new episode is whenever you turn to a subject like this, we're looking at prayer again for the next four weeks or so, when you enter into a new episode, God can revive you and refresh you again. I'm hoping at the end of four weeks you feel depressed. Uh, depressed about your prayer life that oh, feels right. We should do more of this stuff called prayer. Then I know I've done a good job. So I'm sorry I'm, I'm taking you into a, a time when you, you might have to do some soul searching and thinking, oh yeah, maybe I need to pull my socks up in this area. It isn't cr to criticise and God never wants to do that. He wants us to in, be inspired and to press on into the things that are important and to draw away from the things that are less important. So I hope that we enjoy this journey together. We'll discover new things. God will speak to you. Maybe not me speak to you, but he will speak to you from what I say. I say one thing and the Spirit takes that and tells you something else. He speaks personally to you. We learn from the Holy Spirit because he wants us to pray more. So if you present yourself in a position to say, teach me how to pray, then he will. That's what he will do. God will reveal his mysteries to us. We know that word mysteries. Um, a biblical mystery is something that has to be disclosed. It's not like it's a secret. It's like we didn't see it before. But all of a sudden, God exposes truth to us, and it's no longer a mystery. He discloses things that are hidden from us. But as we press on into him, he draws back the curtain, and as, as it were, we see a little bit more. Each one of us, I'm sure, we have a prayerful life. It's where we individually and privately seek his presence. It may be structured. It may be really disciplined. You might be a really disciplined person. You might rise every morning and a good hour you spend and, and spend other times where you're, you're disciplined to read your Bible, you're disciplined to pray, and you're, it comes easy to you. It may be your sort of person that is not. And you just continually play through the day. Whenever you're doing anything, you just you seem to be praying as and when, all the time, driving your car, doing the washing, when there's a break in something, you just pray all the time. Or you might be erratic in your prayer, chaotic in your prayer, no structure, no order, nothing. One day you pray all day and the next day you don't do it for a week. It's, it's, it's chaotic. It would be easy to say, I found the way to do it, do it like me. But we're all different, aren't we? But whatever, whatever way we pray, we will be challenged in, in, the, in the way that we do it. What I want us to consider in this particular lesson is corporate prayer. When the church gathers together or members of the church gather together in a group and they seek God together, there's something unique and very different from when we pray privately on our own. There's a verse in Romans that captures this for me. It's Romans chapter 1, and it's verse 11 and 12. Initially, you might think, what's that got to do with prayer? This is Paul speaking. 
Romans 1, 11 and 12. He says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual blessing to make you strong. Now, if I finish there, you're thinking, of course, here's Paul, the man who just knows so much revelation. Of course, he's coming to impart some of the truth that he knows. But then he goes on to say, that is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Isn't that amazing? You think if the Apostle Paul walked in the door, we'd say, Philip, sit down, shut up, be quiet. The Apostle Paul's going to speak now. Just reveal something wonderful to us and we would all be blessed by it. But no, he says that we might be all mutually encouraged by each other's faith. As I pondered on that, I thought, what would encourage Paul from these people that he's going to teach. The thing that struck me is he would probably pray with them. They would pray and he would pray. But what you see, when we pray, unless we're doing some sort of show and we're presenting, you know, look how good I am, I can pray. But if we pray genuinely, we pray from the heart. And when we pray from the heart, you can listen to someone's prayer and you can hear the faith that's rising from their heart. You can hear it because they're talking to God and it's how they're talking to God. They're talking to God believing, talking to God expecting, talking to God with some sort of element of faith, believing that God will come in and answer and do something in their lives, in their situations. And that could have only inspired his faith to see that those that he was teaching were growing in the faith and they had a faith. So it's important when we go to a prayer meeting that we listen to each other's prayers and that their prayers can inspire faith within us. It's almost as important that we do that. Now, I know some people when they pray in prayer meetings, they're doing it as a public show. And of course, that shows up as well. You're thinking they're just, that's not really, it shows something in their heart. But we can listen to each other's prayers and we can be inspired by the faith that's in their heart. Corporate prayer then is the result of us coming together. Simply leaving our separate homes like we have tonight or I know some people are watching this in their homes and I appreciate that. It's impossible for you to be here. But just as we've gathered here tonight in this room, corporately, something special happens. Of course, I could have sent you the notes and you could have read them at home. Of course you could. But there's something different when we gather together. Something powerful takes place. Something significant is happening. It focuses our minds in a way that when we're at home, we're easily distracted we sit down to do something and then, oh, we think of something else. So we wander off and do that. We think of something else and we wonder about something else. But when you leave and gather together, I've got you. God's got you. We're together. We're focused, you see. We're, we've dedicated ourselves to this. You have nothing else to do to think about. Just think about this. That's, in this sense, praying singing, sharing, worshipping, studying the word of God together, something significant happens when we come together. 
And wasn't one of the foundational four pillars uh, fellowship? It's special, you see. Something unique happens when we gather together. Our spirits are more open to God. We can hear God better. Of course, in my prayer meeting with this church, I could say, well, I want you all to pray at home this week. But that's different from us all getting together in one room and listening to one another. And God, God is so excited that we've presented ourselves, presented our bodies as a living sacrifice unto him to do the business of the kingdom. Why is this? As we meet, we meet with our friends, our brothers and our sisters in Christ. Friends and family, when they meet together and there's a sense of unity and belonging, there's an openness of the heart. We share stories together, we laugh together, we enjoy each other's company. There's, we're, not, we're not guarding ourselves, we're not guarding what we're saying. There's an openness amongst us a sharing together. We relax with those we love. If we don't, we guard ourselves and we close down. But in coming together as the body, we make ourselves open and vulnerable. If you attend a good house group, you know, fellowship group, whatever name the church puts to it, where a small group of people gather from the church together on a weekly or fortnightly basis, you know what I'm talking about. There's sort of a unity, a body, a love, an understanding, a caring that is precious. And you don't mind sharing some things. Obviously, if it's a disjointed, dysfunctional group and people aren't open and loving, that doesn't happen. It's a mess. You're trying to produce something that is not possible because it's the people that come that produce the thing. In opening our hearts to one another in unity, that's the same way we open our hearts to God. If you're at odds, you won't open your heart. You'll not talk to anyone. The door of your heart that is open to receive me and the door of the heart that's open to receive you is the same door that's open to receive God. If my heart is shut to you, it's shut to God. There aren't two doors. You can't be open to me and shut to God or, or shut to me and open to God. You have one door of your heart that you open up to people and to God. 1 John 4 and 20 says this, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. That's just the end of it. It's not true. He's not speaking the truth, he's saying. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. The heart that remains close to his brother remains close to God. Jesus adds this. He says in Matthew 5, 23 and 24, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, notice it's not that you have something against your brother. 
You might have thought, if I go to offer something to God and I've got something against God, um, a brother, I need to go and sort it out with my brother. That's not what it says. It says, if you know that a brother or sister has something against you, you go sort it out with them before you come and meet with God. It says, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother, then come and offer your gift. Is God saying, if you know that someone has a problem with you, planning to meet with God, it's not possible until you put it right. Is that what he's saying? Sounds that way to me. I cannot have fellowship with God if I'm out of fellowship with my brother or sister. This verse is not overstating something. It's just stating how serious it is before God. Unity, this thing called fellowship, this thing called unity, it's before prayer. It's before prayer. It's, it's interesting how the order of the four pillars are there. First, we need doctrine and teaching and understanding about prayer. Then we need the fellowship and the love and the relationship with one another. Then we need to realize that Christ lives in us and lives through us by the Holy Spirit. And then he says, now we can pray. You get it? You can't just jump into prayer if you're out of fellowship, you don't understand what you're doing, and you have no appreciation that Christ lives inside of you. Your prayer is just, what is it? You say, well, Philip, it's not fair. I've got to sort some things out here. Maybe, maybe that's the case. We have to meet then in love and unity, corporately to pray. If we don't meet like that, we can't expect the blessing of God. It's not possible. Why? Because it's when we come together in unity, it's there that God bestows the blessing. You know where I'm turning to, don't you, in my Bible? Yes, it's Psalm 133. It says this, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It's the unity that is so important to God. He said it is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. It is as though as we meet together in unity, whether it's to study or to fellowship or to sing or to worship or to pray, God is so delighted, he pours a blessing upon us. It's as though it's pouring out from heaven upon each one of us. It says in the NIV, For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. I like the authorised version. He says there God commands his blessing. It's like you will be blessed because you've gathered together in unity, in love, respecting one another, loving one another. I will pour my blessing upon you. Again, Jesus says, 
Again, I tell you the truth. Remember when he says this? It means listen carefully because you're not going to believe it and it's important. Again, I tell you the truth. If two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. It's not about agreeing on what it is you're praying so much, but it's being in agreement. If you come with a heart of agreement, you come and you, you're asking God together for something, the blessing of God to come in a situation. As you come corporately together, he's looking for that agreement of heart. If you're out of sorts, don't go. Don't go. Stay at home. Don't go to church, really, because all you do, you're working against the scriptures. You best, I'm not saying don't go to church. You understand what I'm saying? I'm saying sort it. Sort it at home and then go so you can have the blessing that comes upon you. Don't take the disunity with you because you're robbing from your brothers and sisters. God wants to command the blessing, but you are hindering the blessing. To the extent that we experience true Christian fellowship is the extent we will enjoy the corporate blessing of God upon us. God can only mediate his presence in and through a community to the extent they are open to him and to one another. But the other side is that, is if we come in agreement, it causes the blessing to be commanded upon us. But then if we pray, God does amazing things. You see, going back to my prayer meeting in this church, as a prayer meeting goes, it gets a low score. Okay, you think, I don't know if you know what a good prayer meeting is anyway. It gets a low score, but not with God. It gets a high score because I sense there's a unity of these people who have been in this church for donkey's years and they want to see the blessing of God return. They might not be praying the most, you know, wonderful prayers or they might be stumbling along or some people might never pray and all those things and you go, oh, I wish so-and-so would pray and I wish this, but it doesn't matter. God sees the most important thing, which is unity of heart. And that's the important thing when we meet together corporately. When we come together then, we listen to God and as God speaks through another brother or sister, it speaks to us because we're in unity. We're believing that God will speak through them and minister through them. And we learn to share what we believe that God is saying. Some people, you know, they're very timid and they don't pray out. And I wish they would, because when they do, it's like they've really heard God. You might listen and you think, that's a bit off the wall. Someone starts praying and says, oh, funny when I was coming tonight, I heard a bird singing. And you go, oh no, where's this going? You know what I mean? You're thinking, this doesn't sound very dynamic. Yet when he's finished expressing himself, you go, oh God. That was so good, so good. And so this unity thing, see, it draws, it draws the best from us every time. We learn, as it were, together to enter into this divine dialogue, as it were, where we hear the Father and the Son 
speaking. We hear it in our spirit. The spirit of God conveys it to us. The administrator of the Godhead ministers into our hearts. It's not what we're saying, you see. It's what the Spirit of God says. So if you pray publicly and you stumble and you feel foolish and you couldn't think of the right words, it's not important. It's not, important. It's not about being polished. It's about hearing the voice of God and echoing it back to God, even in a stumbled way. And God says, that's it. You heard me and you prayed what I wanted to pray. And all the people in their hearts said, Amen. Not because it was the end of the prayer. They were saying, we agree with what you're saying. Amen. Amen. And then God has to bless us. He has to answer the prayer and bless us because we've done it right. We've done it right. We've done it in unity and we've done it together. Prayer is answered because we're flowing with the Spirit of God and we're hearing what he is saying. Sometimes I just sit in this prayer meeting for a minute and I say, God, speak to me. I want to hear what you're saying. And then I might get something and I'm thinking, I'm just going to say this. And then you launch off into something and God starts to feed his thoughts through your prayers. Oh, it's an adventure. In fact, I like the prayer time better than the study time. And it's me doing the teaching. But I do, I really, I really do enjoy that time. So uh, as the Holy Spirit then speaks into our hearts, we will hear and share it with others and their hearts will say, Amen. 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 We agree. Yes, God. Amen. God bless you. You've been listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching and please remember to head on over to ariseministry.org.uk if you would like to partner with us by making a secure online donation. You can also now follow us on social media at Arise Ministry UK. Arise Ministry, a living legacy.